acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Dom. Good morning. Hey, Kat. How are you? I'm good. I saw Nuno posted, um, our trainer, Nuno, posted some throwback pictures this morning of us when he brought the keg to the gym. Yeah, I was going to say that day when we trained <laughs> and instead of drinking water, we all drank beer. Yeah. That was awesome. That was a hell of a day. Or you guys drank beer and I pretended to drink beer. Yeah. Were you still not drinking at this stage? When did we When did we break through that? That block. That was the end of season one. You broke me. It was at the, the end, end of season, season one. one. We broke yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> sure did. We sure did. Good. On to another wonderful episode of Return to the Shadows. Very exciting. Yes. Welcome back. I'm Catherine McNamara. Yes, you are. And I'm Dominic Sherwood. And welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening and watching and, and being a part of our team. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, today's episode, Major Arcana. Arcana? Arcana? You know what? That's up to you guys. However you want to pronounce it. I don't know. I mean, you would know. You're you're the British person. You speak English properly. I am British. I would yes. say Arcana. There you Arcana? go. Arcana? I don't know. I'd say Arcana. Now I'm not sure. I'd probably say Major Arcana. Yeah, yeah let's not use that one. Good <laughs> Lord. Um, the air date of this episode was February 23rd, 2016. And the writer was the wonderful Peter Binswanger, who we have been 
using throughout the show. He stuck with us all the way to the end. We love Pete. Wonderful, wonderful man. And we're very excited to share this episode. It was directed by J. Miles Dale, also one of our longstanding favorites. Guest stars include Shailene Garrett, Lisa Marcos, Caitlin Lieb, Christina Cox, who, God, we love Christina Cox. I love Christina Cox That one Cox scene so much. in, <gasps> I'm going to get into season three already. Um, Holly DeVue, is that how you say that? DeVoe? DeVoe. DeVoe. Sorry, Holly. It's French. Holly, we love you. In my fairness, I never worked with Holly. She was just a Simon. <laughs> she was a Simon thing, so I never worked with her. And Michael Cram. Kat, tell us what this episode's about. Well, here we go. As we dive in, the Mortal Cup is within Clary's grasp. Finally, armed with the knowledge of the Mortal Cup's location, Clary and the team race to get it before anyone else. After piecing together the clues as to where her mother hid the Mortal Cup, Clary, Jace, Alec, and Isabel are on the clock to find its hiding place, but with demons and downworlders lurking everywhere, obtaining the cup may not be as easy as they had hoped. Meanwhile, as Simon's symptoms become increasingly worse, he fears he is turning in. To a vampire. Oh my, oh my. Dun, dun, dun. Fun facts about this episode. Shooting ran from July 30th to August 10th. So we would have been in the midst of summer with this, right? Oh yeah, it was quite warm. Actually, there's a scene in this episode where I just randomly take off my jacket. And I remember mm. so vividly, it's because we were in the studio and I was so hot. I'm like, please, I don't want to wear this jacket for the rest of the episode. So our script supervisor, who... For those who aren't familiar with how a film set works, the script supervisor is in charge of keeping track of what we call continuity. So as we do multiple takes over and over and over again, they keep track of when we took off a jacket, when we picked up a prop or put it down or what hand we have it in or which direction we turn as we walk out a door or turn around. This person who was so lovely told me, okay, if you take your jacket off in this particular scene, you don't have to wear it the rest of the episode. So randomly, I just take off my jacket for no reason whatsoever. It's nice that they let you do that. In season two, I had a costume issue, which we'll get to, (laughs) but I had a costume issue with a sweater that I absolutely hated. Oh my God, And I was was like, can I take it off? And they were like, no, you can't take it off. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, is it at least just this one episode? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we promise it's one episode. It wasn't. It was three episodes. So for three episodes, I had to wear that and got beaten up and drowned and thrown through window and all this jazz anyway. It was a great sweater, but not once it went through everything that it went through. It wasn't a great sweater. Even from minute one, I hated it. Well, it looked good on you. I remember putting it on in the costume fitting and I was like, I hate this. It's itchy. I don't like it. It's going to be hot. (laughs) They were like, it's just one episode. Don't worry about it. I was like, fine for you. I'm going to wear it. And then they lied to me. Um, uh, the episode title refers to the tarot cards in which the mortal cup is hidden. However, the Ace of Cups is not one of the 22 cards of the Major Arcana. Mm-hmm. It is part of the Minor Cards, technically making the episode title wrong. So that's just in my notes. I just read it that I'm not accusing anyone <laughs> of anything, but because apparently magic. whoever wrote this, Pete, <clears throat> is wrong. Maureen mentions Ponfar in bed with Simon. She's referencing the Vulcan mating cycle. For all of you Star Trek fans, for all of you Trekkies out there, live long and prosper. Speaking of Star Trek, mm. fun fact, Paul Wesley, who was a director of one of our episodes, is the new Captain Kirk. No way, really? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. In the show? The new TV series that they're doing, yeah. Amazing. Wow, good for Isn't that him. awesome? I was like, way to go, Paul. Uh, oh, yes. And actually, I wanted to mention this. So Simon is watching Nosferatu from 1922, one of the first vampire films ever made on his tablet outside the coffee shop. I think it's the first. It is. I think it might be the first ever vampire movie ever made. And in fact, I know this because when I did Vampire Academy, 
I fell into this hole of like vampire history all the way through from mm. Nosferatu coming up to like, I guess Twilight was, had just reached its like fame when we were doing yeah. Vampire Academy. And what I discovered was there's this interesting history of how vampires are portrayed on screen that kind of matched where you were socially. So like, huh. for example, in 1922, there was a huge rap problem across a lot of the world, but especially in London. And they were worried about things like that and infection. So Nosferatu was made to look scary. And if you watch Nosferatu from 1922, he has long front teeth. He looks like a rat. Right. And that is that was a social parallel of what we found dangerous and whatever. And then if you cut forward to things like Blade, what we found dangerous was like mass infection and like the corporatization of infection and the right. widespread of that sort of thing. That was more sort of socially applicable. Global pandemics. And is obviously completely <laughs> global pandemics. And that's also completely referred to within Blade. And then yeah. you cut forward a little longer to things like Twilight. And we liked Twilight and we liked the vampires in Twilight because the shift had gone from horror to love and endless life oh. not being a curse so much as it is, is an endless love thing. So it ended up being romance, which is an interesting thing. And it's just sort of followed the trail of society as it goes. I was going to say, does Twilight mean we have a glitter problem? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But something I was also going to bring up about this is that Alberto did very much the same thing because we lived, our apartments were literally next door to each other at the time. And we used to talk because he was watching every single vampire movie ever made and just seeing ev what qualities he could pull in and what things he could just lace in as little Easter eggs throughout his behavior and, and his physicality throughout the, these few episodes. And uh, it just shows Alberto's massive commitment and intelligence and just the way he creates characters. Very much so. Cat, book to screen. It's all yes. you, baby. Okay, so we have some really interesting book-to-screen things. Maureen is a character that's been aged up in the show as compared to the books. And also, the Maureen in the books is actually a different character entirely that is almost the same character that Tessa plays later on, uh, the mm. Heidi character. So the original Maureen from the books is, I believe, uh, a girl that's turned into a vampire and then becomes this sort of obsessive over Simon in the same way that Heidi does later in the series. So they sort of took these two characters and separated them and created two separate storylines, which sort of plays in, which we'll talk about Tessa and Heidi later because yeah. that's a whole fabulous conversation. Good for Tessa and good for Shailene. That's instead of it being one paycheck, that's two paychecks for two different people. Lovely. Exactly. We love, love it. Love that. We all got aged up, didn't we? We did, Every, yeah. All of us, we all got mm -hmm. aged up. Because you were supposed to be 16, I in think, the books, in the books. Yeah, in the books, it's Clary's 16th birthday, and Jace and Alec are 18, as opposed to being early 20s. I'm so glad they aged it up. It just let us get out of that kind of high school age range yeah. and, and live in a more adult world and not do a million scenes in front of lockers. <laughs> I also, I can't play 18, even then, couldn't play 18. It's I can, I can wet shave as much as you want, but I'm... I'm just too rugged. <laughs> You're too much of a man, Dom. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Sorry, can't say that with a straight face. Yeah. Also, another book moment that we I was so glad we got to do is the Clary apologizing to Jace for the quote other 10% chance that her plan could fail. And the slap is the that apology, you know, having to implement her backup plan, which we find out as we move on in the series. Clary often has to implement the backup plan because she's Bad not backup plan. She's not the best at, at the backup plans. And again, they made me slap you and I was so upset about it. Yeah. Well at least this one made it in. I would have been more upset if it didn't make it in <laughs> the show. 
the first one didn't make it in the show and it wasn't a slap you didn't you didn't slap me you hit me you ball palmed me in the side of the face that's what it was she came at me at an angle like this with her whole body weight so it wasn't like fingers scraping off my face it was a full like it was like a punch I got thumped in the face and I just had to sort of react like oh yeah I'm good and I was like I'm sorry, Dom. Sad. I'm sorry. I, I will say I don't have much experience slapping people, so. <laughs> now you do. Now I do. Now you have a lot. But uh, yes, I'm glad that this one made it in and another little nice nod to the book fans about the writers, you know, paying mm-hmm. respects to where this came from. Absolutely. And we're bringing in some other references to the Shadow World, like the Demon Pox, which we reference several times. And in the prequel series, Internal Devices, the character Will Herondale is referencing the Demon Pox quite a bit. So there's a little bit of a Easter egg tie-in foreshadowing, which we love. Love that. Love that. And also, we'll talk more about this later, but you know, the infamous first kiss of Jason Clary in the end of this episode. In the books, it happens in the greenhouse, in the garden, in the Institute, Mm. and it's initiated by Jace. Whereas in this, it's a very different situation because they're at a different place in the story and it happens in the middle of the Institute in front of everyone. In front of everybody, especially Alec. Especially Alec. Alec. Oh, that poor face. We didn't have, interestingly, we didn't have a greenhouse yet. No. We didn't have that set yet. Mm -mm. That comes in in episode one of season two. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it was let's work with what we got kind of thing rather than, I mean, they'll never, they don't tell us actors really anything to be honest. So we would never know. But I wonder (laughs) if that was, if that was the issue there. Yeah. But to be fair, we had been on location quite a bit that episode already and it was a rather Mm. big episode. So I think building a whole nother set and doing, you know, creating a, a lot of extra cost in considering what we were going into in episode eight and nine and 10 budgetarily, it probably just didn't make sense. Yeah. I just got to the end of 10 and it, and then it, reminded me how much money we spent on not 10 sorry I got to the end I finished the season I found myself in a very nice theater room with a big screen you know Ooh. couldn't stop so I just how kept was that experience them. it was lovely you haven't watched Shadowhunters till you've watched it on the big screen let me tell you we have to do that with the series finale that was fun we did get to do that with the series finale and we get to see we because the first time we ever watched any of the episodes was I think you've mentioned was the trailer at mm-hmm. Comic-Con. We watched yeah. it backwards because we were behind, <laughs> you know, behind the screen. So the projector was on the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Watching something with an audience is really spectacular because you get to see, you know, the moments land and you, when people meet, you get to sort of understand who's everyone's favorite characters and, you know, the different cheers from audiences and stuff is really quite special. So that's lovely. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. At the beginning of the episode, we jump in and we have a very interesting team of Clary and Jace and Luke and Magnus. And I love seeing mm. this because you really get to see the dynamic between Luke and Magnus and these two leaders of the downworld. And also Harry in season one with all of his little giggles and the, the little things that he laces into his character that just establish Magnus in such a fantastic way. It's a really interesting scene because you do have this sort of dynamic between the knowledge that, you know, Jace has of the demon pox and of how that world works along with the knowledge that you know Magnus and Luke have of the demonic forces in the downworld and Luke's use of the police force whereas Clary's knowledge of the mundane world you get to see all these worlds kind of blend as they make this plan and it, it's one of the first times in the show that we actually get to see that mm-hmm. and see that come to fruition and and start to see this partnership that now that Clary is a part of the shadow world all the worlds are colliding in many mm-hmm. ways well and especially because i think this is the first time that we accept the help of the downworld in a formative manner to sort of make a plan mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not just oh we're going to use you for this mo- we need magnus for, you know to help find the memories or we need luke for this one little bit or whatever it is we're like oh let's 
actually accept your help and sort of the the starting of this union that we all grow to cherish as the show goes on. So yes, so we know the cards are at the police because poor Dot is thought to be dead. Yeah. So the tarot cards are now in Luke's possession, which are at the police station. So off we go. And <laughs> then we cut to Simon, who is waking up next to Maureen, of all people. Yeah. This goes back to the, you know, we, we bring in dreams a lot throughout the series. And, you know, especially in season one, they're a huge plot device as well as kind of an indicator of where characters are at. And poor Simon has quite, <laughs> quite the dream that puts him just in a situation. In a whole mess of trouble, bless his heart. Bless his heart. I, I've never done it. I don't think. <laughs> Said someone else's name. I've never called a girl by a different name. Yeah. I'm like 99.999998% sure that I've never done it. And if I have, and I don't remember, I'm so sorry. But I don't, th- I don't think I ever have. I can't <laughs> imagine that there's much worse. Yeah. Actually, this is funny. I had a doorman in, uh, in New York when I was filming Partner Track, who, for whatever reason, called my dog Dom and me Dan, which was kind of cute the first time. <laughs> But I was there for six months, and for six months, three times a day, I'd take Dan out from my dog for a walk, and he'd go, oh, hey, Dom, what a good boy, good boy, Dom. And I was like, huh, great. (laughs) And I just didn't, I never corrected him. So, Tom, if you're listening, you were a wonderful doorman, and I appreciate it, every second of you being there and all the help you gave me. But I'm Dom, and my dog was Dan, just so you know. Well, you are a good boy, Dom. Thanks very very much. That's very sweet. Thanks, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, I mean... Granted, Alberto has such a lovely way of blending this sort of comedic timing with the sign of sweetness and vulnerability that is Simon also with everything he's struggling with. It's just, it's a joy to watch. Yeah, always, always. Yeah, Alberto's a winner. Yes. And then we dive back into the police station where we meet Fisk for the first time. We get to see the lovely Lisa Marcos again as Captain Vargas. We love you, Lisa. We miss you terribly. And Michael Cram as Ned Fisk, who Mm. was only here for this one episode. but And he does a really good job in this character too, so it's a pity we couldn't bring him back. But I think if, if we gave every, like one episode guest star their own storyline we already had like 50 storylines running at any one time you know and once luke was cleared then luke was cleared so oh spoiler alert uh but luke didn't do it but yeah did a great job very happy with him mm-hmm. however it provides a huge obstacle because now they've taken all of luke's belongings so they're no the plan is is already not working luke dives into the police station goes give me 30 minutes i'll be right back that's when we get to see the binocular rune for the first time. Yeah. Because Jace is able to see exactly what's going on, leaving a very confused Clary wondering if she needs glasses. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what ended up on my forearm. They did a clever thing at the beginning of season one where they would map a lot of the tattoos based on a lot of the a lot of the tattoos, a lot of the runes based on where I have actual tattoos on my body. So they were easier mm-hmm. to cover up a tattoo and then put a rune over the top. So it was sort of less obvious. But this one I think is on my left forearm, which is sort of fairly like revolving door space for just a, a useful rune that needed to be shown in the episode. So you can watch throughout the show that left forearm is used for a whole many different types of runes that aren't always there and they are constantly changing because they're like, you know, do we want to put Dom through the hour and a half process in the morning of covering up all his tattoos because we know that this rune is like on his chest? But to show the chest, I have to take off my shirt and I've got tattoos on my upper body. So we'd have to cover up all of the tattoos and then put on all of his runes just to show this one rune. Or do we just cheat a little and put it on his forearm? And I think nine times out of 10, we went with the latter. 
Probably. And, you know, so too, that's how we got to be a little bit flexible with the mythology, especially in season one, as we were still figuring it out going, well, some runes are permanent because we use them often, but then others fade over time and we have to re-rune them time mm-hmm. and time again. You know, for example, Clary's sunlight rune, spoiler alert, that comes in later on is on the palm of her hand. Obviously it would be hell on earth to try and get a rune to stay on the palm of your hand for episodes in perpetuity. But having the ability to have them fade and just activate it when you need becomes a very useful mythological tool. Much more better. I agree. (laughs) Where are we now? Uh, We are at the new Isabel. We see her putting away all of her belongings and her memories of Melior. That's right. Yeah. Poor, the poor Mizzy. Would that be the ship name for that? Mizzy or Mizzy or (laughs) Isalorn? Isalorn? It's got to be Missy. I, I rather enjoy Isalorn. Isalorn's fun to say, though. <laughs> it is fun to say. Again, sweet as your favorites, guys. Let us know if it should be Missy or Isalorn. I, the more I say Isalorn, <laughs> the more it sounds right in my mouth. It sounds like the correct like choice, Isalorn. for sure. Which is interesting because this actually leads us to one of my favorite scenes just a little later on. But the dynamic shift of power from it being Izzy who would normally come in and flirt her way through to it being Alec very uncomfortably trying to flirt his way through. (laughs) Yes. One of my absolute favorite scenes that is like buttoned very nicely with this awesome flick. And the CGI team did an amazing job of this, as did Mm -hmm. Emerard which I didn't realize watching it initially, but watch her eye. She actually tracks this thing flying through the air and then catches it exactly correctly. She does an amazing job, a really amazing job. It's something that's very tricky normally because, again, spoiler alert, that key card wasn't there. That's not a real key card. <laughs> Nobody is cool enough to make that flick happen. It's true. Although, if anyone, it would be Matt Daddario. Matt and <laughs> evidently Emeralds could do it. Yeah. And now that you know, we we sort of get to see this dynamic shift and Isabel taking on this responsibility for the first time. We cut to a new kind of responsibility of Jason Clary diving in to try and save Luke. We get to see the two of them appear in a closet, and this little mock fight, and the infamous ninety percent, ten percent lines from the book. And I I really enjoyed watching you in this scene, Dom, because I didn't notice all of the details and little ad libs you were throwing in in the background. Yeah, they gave me some freedom here. So it was anything from talking to you and trying to fix that with you to, you know, the the babe, she means nothing to me to hello, how's it going in the background to there was a point where (laughs) I remember this, the guy on my right hand side. I turned to him at one point and he he was gripping me quite strongly. And I went, has anyone ever told you you have beautiful skin? <laughs> that one didn't end up in there. But it was just, oh, they man, just gave I me free reign to do whatever I wanted. So I was like, great, I'm going to run with it. If you're giving me that freedom, let's go. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then after all of this goes down, we find out that all of Luke's belongings are now in storage with internal affairs. They're in lockup. The obstacles continue. Yep. And then we cut back to Simon and the Nosferatu moment, which we've sort of touched on mm. the Nosferatu of it all. But I love this sort of concept of, you know, the hypochondriac that is Simon. Yeah. Met with this sort of encyclopedic knowledge of vampires that Simon also has yeah. from his pop culture thing that's so funny look at his little list well and it even goes back to even when he calls clary in this scene which again we sort of dive into the clary and simon friendship dynamic and and how torn both of them are between whatever the shadow world has thrown at them that they're dealing with and trying to be there for each other Mm -hmm. through all of this um by the way we we sort of see yeah no go on no i was gonna say we see clary time and time again to choosing the shadow hunters over Simon at this point. And 
it's really sad to it watch. It is sad, but also, you know, credit to Clary. She doesn't know until she gets that voicemail. She doesn't know exactly what's going on there. You and me and Alec and Izzy, we think that vampire saga with Simon is done. We know that the mm-hmm. process is he has to drink her blood, she has to drink his, he then has to return to her, otherwise this poison will work its way through his body. We think everything's good. We think everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Probably a little more due diligence on Jace's part to be like, I know he's going to be an <laughs> addict for the next like six to eight weeks, so we should probably deal with yeah. that at some point. But I don't think Clary isn't, because we talk about this a bit about how Simon is such a wonderful friend and then Sari, Sari, Clary does choose the shadow world quite a lot over Simon, especially in these first few episodes. But I think if you blame her entirely, you're actually doing her a disservice. Like she's, you know, she's figuring her shit out. Like it it takes some time and she's, Simon is that guy that we rely on and he's, you know, he's having an issue, but we're also aware Simon is a hypochondriac. The Simon, Simon does, mm-hmm. you know, make mountains out of molehills all the time. So if you get these calls relentlessly and you've got something going on, one or two of those are going to slip away. And that's a shame. Uh, obviously, it leads us to where it leads us. Yeah. And, and you know, to be fair, there's a lot happening. Her mother's missing. We're just getting over Luke almost dying. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to be after the mortal cup. And the walls are closing in in a lot of ways. Uh, just as the walls are closing in for Clary and on the situation with Valentine, the walls are closing in for Simon, too. But again, we have Michael Cram in here as Fisk doing such a lovely job. And I, I love seeing Isaiah's charm seep into mm-hmm. Luke. Garraway's charm because Isaiah is so good at this sort of tennis match and this game of cat and mouse that the two of them are playing. It just, it makes me giggle. Isaiah's kind of the king at less is more on mm-hmm. screen. You know, he has this, this astounding presence about him and he has a one line in here that really stuck out to me that is because it's sort of a less is more moment where he, it's all done with this sort of natural charisma that he has Fisk's ask him a question and he says, I don't know, I'd have to ask my lawyer. And it's <laughs> so well done that it's like, oh, damn, mm-hmm. wow, that's really fucking cool. Okay, great. You know, there's no no arguing with you because that's just who you are, which is awesome. Yeah. Even the moment with the tissue where we come in glamoured and he just takes the tissue and blows his nose and goes, camera. camera. Yep. Yeah. It just, every single little moment is just a masterclass. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this kind of leads us into the conversation about the site, which we've touched on a little bit before, but it becomes a huge player in this episode, this concept of who has the site and who doesn't. And it's interesting, in this episode, we get into it beyond just the shadow hunters. It's downworlders have the site and demons have the site and shadow hunters have the site, but mundanes do not. And it's this sort of all-encompassing perspective, Mm -hmm. as it were, that anyone who is touched by angelic or demonic blood in any way has the ability to access. Well, but then, and, you know, sort of more complicated, but there's sort of a site within a site, isn't there? Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's other things that you need to look through, even though you can see everything that's going on. There are other things that you need to be aware of as well. Like you have to pay attention to the details? You do indeed have to pay attention to the details. This this sort of enters into the part of the episode that's the main action sequence where everything's happening all at once. We're going into the storage unit. We glamour ourselves from the cops or maybe demon cops. We don't really know because everyone around us could be one or the, the other. The audience knows right now. The audience knows that there are demons floating about because of the eyes, but mm-hmm. we don't know. We don't know because we're too busy looking for the cup to pay we're attention. Busy. We're busy people. We find the tarot cards, we find the mortal cup, and 
it's interesting, the difference. I was watching this scene where we actually find the cards for the first time. And there's such a difference between the way Clary and Jace sort of react to it. For Clary, these are the tarot cards. She, it's something that's been around her whole life. you know. So she's just handling them willy-nilly. And for Jace, there's almost a kind of reverence that you kind of clock within you because it is such an, a, a huge It's the symbol. holy grail. It's literally the holy grail of the shadow world. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's the holy grail and you know those two threads have been aligned over history. Maybe, maybe there is only one. Is that blasphemous? I don't know. No, I actually think that this is something that, you know, we we sort of get into it in the show in the beginning with the weapons and the crypt mm. and all of this stuff and the the historical references to Michelangelo and things like this. But that is sort of what it's meant to be, at least through the books. You have a lot of this crossover between the world of religion and the church and religion of all kinds mm-hmm. and the shadow world. Yeah. And it's it's this sort of thread that to me when I was reading the books, it made the fantasy seep into reality even a bit more because it is all these things that are based on belief systems that have existed for thousands of years. And depending on the way you interpret it, it could be either or or both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We find the Holy Grail slash Mortal Cup stuck in a card. There's no access to it, but we have it. We physically have it. And that's a good thing. Come on, Clary, figure it out. We move on to outside, correct? Is that next? Mm -hmm. Well, we first find... Lisa in a closet. Oh, we don't. Well, we but don't. Yes, Luke, we the audience. Mr. Green Eyes himself does not find. Oh no, he does. He does. He does find. He does. That he and finds because he smells the blood. Correct, and then is exonerated yes. from this crime because of the wonderful CSI team, crime scene investigators team, who put her time of death at during the time Luke is under arrest. So everything's good yes. except for Vargas, who is dead. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the intervention scene. We get to see the Lewis family come together. Ah, that's right. Because yes. Maureen has called sister, who's called mom, who's come in and gone, hey, we've got your favorite food. We're going to talk. We're going to coach you through this because there's obviously something greater going on here. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Simon doesn't know how to tell his mom, hey, so I'm turning into a vampire, mm-hmm. maybe. But, you know, it's not drugs, I swear. It's kind of drugs, but not really. I actually think we paved over a really good scene with that as well. I think... The first time we see Simon cry is in this episode. Doesn't he leave you the voicemail in this episode? Yes, but it's at the very end. It's oh, right it before he goes, yeah, that does happen, but we'll get to it. Got it. But all I have to say about this scene is Ikea is no match for Alberto and no match for Vampire No, Blood. that was a real, uh, a real table. We actually reinforced it so it wouldn't break with steel beams and the hopes and prayers of many and Alberto <laughs> still went through it. <laughs> It was crazy. Never seen that's our resentment. It's like, wow. Actually, the second floor of that building, they had to reinforce that as well afterwards. He smashed the table yeah. and then he fractured pipes in the in the ceiling of the next floor. There was floods for weeks. It was dreadful. It's it was true. in the news. You should read about it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All the f- floods, the great floods of 2015. Guy pretending to be vampire realizes <laughs> actual vampire strength causes 2015 floods in Toronto. It was a night. Oh, my gosh. What a travesty. Are we kidding? I don't even know anymore. Maybe it may be. I don't know anymore. Don't know. Let's commit to the bed, yeah. Dom. Let's go. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. So this is our, our feature that we've been putting in is the set versus location. And of the police station. I don't know this one. Okay, well, I can tell oh, you. Oh, the police the station. Police station. Uh, the answer is both. Parts of the police station were our production office, mm. parts were different crawl spaces in our studio, and part was that university building. 
Oh, that's right. And even the elevator, we shot two separate elevators. There was the ele- the temperamental elevator in the police station, yeah. if you remember that yes, scene with, with Alaric, with yeah. Joel, where we had to do the bait and switch, mm-hmm. duck and run. Because it was an in-use elevator. We had no we had no control. Yeah. It was just an in-use elevator. So we're like, oh, we think it's coming up to the second floor. Quick, do some acting. And then it would skip yeah. and go to the third floor. And we're like, ah, oh, shit. Okay, great. Well, back to one. Let's do it again. And Joel's just riding the elevator the whole time, reading <laughs> reading his files. Um, but then we actually built that elevator in the soundstage mm-hmm. so we could do the scene with, which is the next thing we should talk about, which is the Nyx rune or the night vision rune, which comes into play quite wonderfully in this episode. Mm. And it's, I think it's one of the first, oh, it's the first time we see Clary rune herself and obviously with the help of Jace. But it's this episode that we start to see Clary taking ownership of her shadow hunter powers, be it the drawings from the cards and runing and all of these things, she's starting to be integrated into the team. And that's a huge credit to Jace as well, because they're start and to Alec, because they're starting to trust her and to listen to her mundane insight as well as she's starting to listen to their insight, mm-hmm. starting to learn. She listens to Jace a little bit in this episode. A little, yeah. And then it and then that disappears pretty, <laughs> pretty quickly later on but yes we do and this this is also fun this scene in the elevator very much encapsulates what this relationship is they you know they tease Mm -hmm. each other and they play with each other but and especially jace who enjoys being the one in control very much Mm -hmm. enjoys being the one with the knowledge you get to see him one soften with her and actually help her and realize that there are these sort of feelings and like "Mm, this is dangerous for me because i'm not supposed to be doing this and whatever and then the vice versa of like, this is funny because you don't know what you're doing and I do know what you're doing, but I also know that you know what you're doing. It's just not there yet. You know, it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. a, like a proud teachery moment as well with seeing you do it and I, you don't need much. You just need a little push. It's kind of a parallel for the Seraph Blade scene in the graveyard. That moment where it's like, I really don't need to do much. I just sort of need to set you on your way and give you that little push and then you're going to you know, go off and do it on your own. And that's what this scene was. Mm-hmm. I do though love how brutal the fresh runes look in season one. You know, it's such an indicator of the world of the Shadowhunters and the sort of beauty and brutality put together to create this race of soldiers. Mm -hmm. Because brands, that's what they wanted them to look like, right? Like open brands, Mm -hmm. which I think they did. I think they looked horrendous. They looked painful. It was Randy that was doing them in season one. It was Randy who ended up being our beauty makeup for season two and season three. Mm-hmm. And now we do go outside and mm-hmm. we quickly exit from, we've had distraction, awkward, flirty Alec earlier in the episode. And then so now fun. we're back to normal Alec who's like, what little girl? Can you get the card or not? Do you have the cup or not? What's going on? Kind of. Theoretically, Alec. Theoretically. Like, we kind of, well, this is a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Matt slash Alec, calm down. <laughs> I do remember as we were exiting the police station for the first time, they it was one of the first times they had given us freedom to sort of ad-lib. Mm-hmm. You know, we had this little banter back and forth about, well, next time I'm going to bring Alec. Well, sorry, I'm just, you know, making it up as I go mm-hmm. or whatever we ended up saying. But it's fun as we get into a, the series a bit more, especially when we have someone like Miles who's directing us and someone like Pete who's writing, who are kind of our residents. It's this sort of blend that happens mm-hmm. when you do a TV show for a long time where, yes, the writers write the character and, yes, they kind of create the story. But it starts to become a partnership where because we yeah. are literally boots on the ground playing these characters every single day – they start to give us a little bit more trust and a little bit more freedom as we kind of grow into these characters' skins. In totally, a way. totally. It's interesting, isn't it? Because especially at the beginning, at least the first sort of four or five episodes, 
I'm still trying to figure out who he is and how he walks and how he moves yeah. and whatever, you know, and then it changes because of bits of the story that we didn't know that then come in later on. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting because they have this dynamic with their mother, but then also, you know, this guy and whatever it is. And sort of around this time, everyone sort of starts to trust each other and are like, actually, I, I do feel comfortable taking the reins of Jace a little here. Like, I do feel a little more comfortable mm -hmm. doing some ad libs as him rather than it, it sort of eliminates that blip, you know, that little like Dom has to think about what Jace would say and then improvise it. And towards sort of the middle or, or towards middle end of the seasons, that blip was kind of getting smaller and smaller to the point of almost being gone where I would just react as Jace, which was easier and obviously works better on screen. So that was fun. And thank you very much to Pete and Miles for letting us do that. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I found this in, you know, the latter part of season two and as we got into season three is that not only mentally did that happen, but also all of our characters had existed. We'd all existed in these spaces as our characters for so long. We sort of fell into natural physical patterns as well of where people stood or where people sat or how we stood next to each other mm -hmm. or how we interacted with each other. And the characters had their own history and their own relationships and their own you know, ways of interacting in the space with each other. That was the most fun for me. But it's interesting to go back looking at where all of that began. Yeah. Now I have a I have a section missing in my head and I can't connect them. So we're outside, okay. it's daytime. Yes. We go back in, all hell breaks loose, we come back so out. So we go I think we're a little out of order. We yeah, so we were outside, then we go in, there's distraction Alec, there's Fisk, it cuts to Simon, we get the card, we're running around. So we're trying to get out or away or something, and we end up having to go back into the police station mm. for some reason, and I don't remember exactly yeah, why. I can't remember for the life of me what happened. Oh, there. I know why. Um, because demon grandma happens and I think we basically get chased back inside because there's so many demons outside. I thought outside. demon grandma was at night time. Yeah. Wasn't she on the way back out? No. No, she's because we- uh, Re-enter the building via the cellar to find shelter and are attacked by Shaq's demons. There we go. So we are running from all the demons outside. I think we just need a, an escape plan so we don't get followed back to the institute or chaos or something. Then Shaq's demons. Fucking Shaq's demons. This was a fun one for me. The Shaq Steeman yeah. that leaps out of my face. It was a, a Nerf football, wasn't it? It was a Nerf American football. <gasps> That's right, they threw it, it at me and I had to catch it and then pretend like it was coming at me and then mm -hmm. throw it and actually hit the ball with the serif blade so it looked like I was That's cutting right. through something. And they had something to track. Yeah, I had a physical thing to interact with, which was interesting. It's interesting that I just brought up right hand, left hand, because Jace is left-handed in the books, isn't he? I believe he is. Yeah. And we had that discussion at the beginning of whether or not we'd shift to my less dominant hand. And I think it ended up becoming like a safety thing because we were all fairly new at this. Just because I am more dexterous with my right hand, swords-wise, it was safer for me to use my right hand than it was my left hand. So sorry, book fans. It's my fault. I'm right-handed. <laughs> Apologies. We can do so much on limited time. Yeah. Uh, it is, it, this is one of the first episodes that we get to do a lot more fighting demons mm -hmm. for the first time, you know, and we, we did it a little bit in episode one, but we've been dealing with other things up until this point. And this is our next kind of big demon battle. And it, it does deserve to be said that demon grandma is also a carryover from the book. That whole shh, not in front of grandma, all of that. Yeah, that whole moment is pulled straight from book one. That's cute. She was also lovely. This lady was really lovely. She really was. Why did you kill her? Oh, because she was a demon. Oh, right, right, right. But it, I meant the actress, very lovely. Um, and it's an interesting <laughs> thing because coming in, you know, I think at this point we didn't know what this was going to look like. The whole f the mm -mm. face, you know, the mandibles opening up and this, that, and the other. We didn't know what that was going to look like yet. 
So we were sort of mm. directing this poor woman. She was like, well, what do I do? And we're like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know yet. We aren't sure what this is going to look like. So just sort of do your thing. And she threw herself right into it, bless her heart. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, but was very happy to get stabbed. You know, that's an odd mm-hmm. way of putting that. But there are a lot of people who, well, not a lot of people, I've met people who come into this and are tentative of the sort. They don't know me. They don't know whether or not it's something that I can do safely. And in this moment, because it's going into her chest, it's just the hilt. It's just the handle of the sword. There's nothing coming out. But it's that's still a fist. That's still a fist coming at your chest. And she was just trusting, which mm-hmm. was very nice of her. And we worked it out together and it all worked out. And thank you very much for being a team player that day. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of interactions and mm. guest stars, and this this is something I wanted to bring up because we cut back to Simon and he is in his bedroom. This is when he leaves the voicemail for Clary. Ah, yes. And we're dealing with all of this as Jace goes, Clary, run. Clary takes off. Mm-hmm. Everyone disperses. Demons are attacking. Cut to Simon in the bedroom, leaving Clary a voicemail. No wonder she doesn't answer her phone. She's running for her life from Shaq's demons. Yeah. Sorry, Simon. But he leaves this heartbreaking voicemail. Do you want to touch on that real quick? And then I'll the talk Oscar about tier. There's, there's a line. The Oscar yeah. tier. God, he's good at this. It's interesting because Alberto is an empathetic actor. So he feels or he tries as much as he can to feel what Simon is feeling. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't think about when that tear needs to come out that's good for camera, which some right. actors do and it looks great. You know, it's whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't think about that. He, It's just natural. It's a natural flow of emotions. So it's just sort of happenstance that this tear, he turns around and this tear comes down his face whilst he's still in motion. I watched it a couple of times. I went back. He's in motion. (laughs) And it's just as that side of his face catches the light, the tear comes out of his eye. And it's just luck because he, he is feeling those emotions. He's, he's, you know, we call it in it, the normal term that we would use, which means your, your emotions are in line with whatever the emotions are of the character. Mm -hmm. And that's how he does it. That's how he processes everything. And it's just such an amazing scene where he turns around and that last line is, I think I'm becoming a vampire. Yeah. And it's horrifying. It is. It's everything that he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Well, and as he turns around, Camille shows up. Yeah. And we have this whole scene with him and Camille. And she, there's a line that she says that I didn't clock previously. Mm. She says, blood is stronger than will. Yeah. And that's, that's a line that honestly becomes a theme in our show as we move forward. And it becomes a huge topic of debate depending on what sort of blood is running in your veins, Especially what for blood you and your I. family yeah, comes heritage. from. Absolutely. Your heritage and your, you know, what is within you versus the choices that you make. It becomes such a major theme of our series. And I thought it was so interesting that it comes up in this context mm-hmm. in one of the earliest parts of the show. Well, and also how it's used as a weapon. I'm sort of thinking, because yeah. you mentioned choices, and I'm thinking about the choices that I made or that Jace made and he makes the right choices, but that blood that was in him was used as a manipulative weapon to make those choices for him ahead of time, knowing that he was going to make those choices and all this, that, and the other. Oh, I just gave myself a headache. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <Who>? <laughs> wow, I'm going to be sick. It's all right. Take a breath. Yeah. Take a sip. You're good. You're good. But it, it is interesting. And it's something that, you know, time and time again, these characters are faced with do I make the choice that I'm told I'm supposed to make because of who and what I am? Or do I make the choice that I know is right in my heart and soul? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, some characters make the right choice, some make the wrong choice. And it it plays a lot into what our story is. But 
Now we're back into a section that I like to call apologies and crawl spaces. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this scene because there was a timing issue, wasn't there, in this scene? There was oh, a, that's right. It, this wasn't even really a set necessarily. It, was just, it just existed no. in, in our soundstage. And they were like, great, let's use this place. Mm-hmm. And Just a wall. It was, it was just a wall, yeah. And we had... <laughs> a certain amount of time because obviously it's only a certain amount long to get all of these lines out with your nice little button at the end and then walk off camera all on yeah. Steadicam. Yeah. And Steadicams also are, it's it's the sort of camera that rests in this sort of uh, harness on the body of a cameraman and is balanced with weights and it is very heavy and it's something that a lot of folks don't realize. It takes a lot of skill and yeah. there's certain camera operators that specialize in this and it always is one of my favorite things to watch on set because just the skill and the stamina with which, because they're often also really iconic shots and things that directors care very much about and they're always precarious and they're always all about timing. And to watch these camera operators negotiate not only with their own physicality, but also to sort of achieve the goals of the director and help the actors and everything else, the camera operators that do Steadicam are just superheroes, in my opinion. They are indeed. I agree. Um, that's and this is right before we get split up. This is right before we get ambushed again and we split up the oh, three right. of us. This is so this actually happens earlier, but I did want to touch on this scene because there's a bit of dialogue that I believe is pulled from the books as well. Mm. But it also becomes, as you mentioned earlier with the elevator, it's so indicative of Clary and Jace's relationship. You know, we see the two of them working together as a team, trying to figure out these problems, but also neither one of them is really able to let their guard down enough to acknowledge what this relationship is Mm -hmm. becoming. And, you know, the stakes are so high and, you know, Clary apologizes and thanks Jace and he sort of replies with, well, it's my job and kind of shuts it down. And whereas Clary's trying to kind of bridge that gap a little, he's just not, not open to it at the time. Then we have the scorpion demons. Jace says, Clary run. And she runs down this corridor chased by a Shaxx demon. And this is something that I didn't realize, but it comes into play in the future for Clary as well. We have this concept of shadow hunters of emotions cloud judgment, Mm. but there's something with the Morgan Stearns that's a bit different. And I don't know if it's because of Valentine's experimentation or because of genetically having Valentine and Jocelyn be their parents, but there is an element of it where for the Morgan Stern children, emotions allow them to access their powers Mm. in a way. And it it becomes a tool, especially for Clary, coming from the mundane world where emotions are used more as a tool and as a way to push yourself to go beyond previously conceived limits. Time and time again, we see Clary get into these situations where the stakes are high, things are about to happen, and when she quits thinking and lets herself just feel and work on instinct, her powers kick into play, which is how she's able to pull the mortal cup out for the first time. Her emotions are heightened. She knows it's life or death. She tries one more last-ditch effort, and it works. And she's, for the first time, able to stand as a shadow hunter and go, this is my gift. This is my power and this ability. This is what I was born to do, literally, is save this cup. And the demon obeys and runs away. I always thought it was weird that the demons had people eyes. You know what I mean? They got two eyes, like normal. Like, what do scorpions have? I'm going to have to look it up. Do scorpions scorpions have eyes like spiders? They have lots of eyes? Or like crabs? Are they on stalks? You know, I can't say I've Googled scorpion eyes. Let me see. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I think it comes into play for Jace a bit later as well. So maybe it's the way Valentine raised us, where you know emotions are weaponized um, yeah. in a way, and it can be a tool, but it can also be 
a detriment for for these three slash four characters that we see. Wow. Okay. I was wrong. Would you look at that? Scorpions have two eyes in the front of their bodies, like normal. Mm -hmm. So this is an absolutely correct representation of scorpion eyes. And then two to five eyes on each side. Hmm. Who knew? But cannot see very well. They only recognize movement and differences between light and dark. Well, there you go. So I apologize. I apologize for my earlier comments about the scorpion's eyes. They were absolutely correct. That's all right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. 
Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. So we have the Mortal Cup. Yeah. And now we have a recurrence of Stabby Frey. Yeah. And uh, would you like to talk about your first experience with possession and my second experience with Stabby Frey? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Jace gets stabbed. Again. Actually, what's interesting about this scene, you know, Clary recognizes that this is a demon and not Jace and whatever. And I know in my head what I did was sort of deconnotating like how would a demon represent this person mm -hmm. in the best way they come back with sort of a limited amount of their memories they take that when they take their form but they don't take personality their abilities what it, you know all of that sort of stuff so there has to mm -hmm. be enough of a similarity to make it a question like is this jace is this not jace but also enough of a difference right. to be like it's obvious enough that this isn't Jace that I'm going to stab him through the chest without thinking. If you pay attention to the details. <laughs> so what did what were the details that you think you saw? Yeah, there was a, a slight, and I'm trying to remember because this was so long ago, and there's a difference between what you see when you're looking into your eyes, but it, it, it was a bit of a stillness, you know? There's there's a like a, an ethereal kind of dark so stillness. So stillness is the big one. It was... Yeah. Like everything was kind of, even with my words, it's like perfunctory. Everything is like, mm -hmm. good, you did well, give me the cup. The words are all technically correct. Everything he's saying is correct. But instead of it being good work, I'm glad you're safe, give me the cup. It's, I'm glad you're safe, good work, give me the cup. The thing that's important mm -hmm. is the cup, not the first two things. Yeah, you take the soul out of it. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the difference between Jace and the demon is, I guess, the motive and the way of stringing together the motive and then the emotions that would usually pattern lyrical speech with this is how you know this is how we would sort of pepper this into language so that was my first foray into possession but this is something that you get to do often at when you are working on a character for so long the writers mm -hmm try and find ways to change something. And you and I both got to play with this quite a bit is this concept of alternate versions of the characters and possession and different forces controlling our willpower. Yeah. Or characters that look like you that aren't you, which is interesting. Yes, That's exactly. Interesting. I got to exactly. do that. A couple three, of times. Uh, yeah. This, well, this is the first one. And then yeah. there's, you know, mm -hmm. and then there was Jonathan Jace. Mm -hmm. There was that one. Mm-hmm. There's the other one, the other, other one, and then the other, other, other one. There was lots of them. There was lots of them, and it's there's, good fun. Yeah, there's many. Very interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting. Oh, wait. One more thing I want to say about this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice, and I can't remember because I remember looking for it, and I can't remember. Did the sword come out of my back? Did it go all the way through me and out of my back? Oh, I'm going to look. I'm going to look right now. Hold on, my, you got it in front of you? I'm curious because this harkers back to that question that we had in episode one of whether or not you're yeah. allowed to stab Jace Nephilim, even though he's not a Nephilim in this moment, but we think he is, are we allowed to show that? Right. Are we allowed to show a shadow hunter getting stabbed through the chest? Which obviously come season two, we were like, yeah, let's just stab everyone. We don't care. Right, exactly. But this is an element that, oh, here we go. Oh, yes, it does go through it your does. back. It does. It comes through my it back. It does. It comes out your back. Interesting, interesting. Um, and then, you know, after you disperse into dust, yeah. now we see Luke and um, Alec come to get Clary. And it's the first time we sort of see Clary... We've seen her shut down a lot when mm. she gets into these situations and there's high stakes and she has to fight and she doesn't understand how to 
cope at how to process the shadow world, she is shut down up until this point, which is why, you know, Jace has saved her time and time again. But this is one of the first times we see her go through something, take what Jace has taught her, solve a problem, and then recover. And it leaves people from both parts of her life, Luke and Alec, going, maybe she's got this. Damn. Yeah. Let her go. Maybe maybe she's going to be okay. Yeah. Then we cut to Jace. And this is one of my favorite moments of this kind of beginning part of the show because we do get to see Jace's vulnerability just a little bit. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, where Jace is at this point? This is the first time we get to see him really struggle with loss. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge thing and a huge part of, of who and where he is that he is unwilling to give up on people and that will take precedent over everything else in his life, especially the ones that he cares about. And this is sort of the first time we see his motives towards the end of the season um, and mm-hmm. why he makes the choices that he makes. But he, I think he literally says at one point, nothing else matters except for this. Mm-hmm. Everything else is on hold this problem needs to get fixed now. And it's one of the reasons why the Clave don't like him so much, because he doesn't necessarily follow the rules the way rules are supposed to be followed. Mm -hmm. This is the problem. I'm fixing it now. And I'm doing nothing else. Mm -hmm. That's not only because of obviously his passion and his love, I guess the budding love at this point for Clary, but it's also who he is intrinsically that there is no soldier left behind. And that's not something that we do. I don't want to live without my conscience. So that's where we are. Well, and it's also one of the first times as well. And this is something that I've always loved about Clary and Jace's relationship is that the two of them make such a great partnership because one, they both have this capacity to be a loyal soldier, but also to be emotionally vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. and time and time again, when one falters or needs support, the other comes in to to be strong for them. And they make such a great partnership because they do have that ebb and flow. And they do have that way of blending their strengths and weaknesses together to make the sum of their parts stronger, as it were. Absolutely. And this is the first time we really see that. You know, we see the two of them have been through a lot in this episode and have kind of been put through the ringer, it, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and they've come out stronger for it. And it bonds them in a way. Mm-hmm. And we really get to see this for the first time and we get to see this budding relationship yeah. and get to see it come to fruition for the first time. Cut to... Cut to. Fortunately, this this panic is fairly short-lived and in she runs, safe and sound. Mm-hmm. We have the fun little back and forth of, how did you know that this wasn't me? This little flirty, like, it's a bit of a risk, isn't it? You stabbed me through the chest, like, were you sure? And she was. Yeah. And it's somewhat subtextualized because the main thing here is this like passion between these two characters. But it is sort of the first time where Jace has let her go off on her own. And he's like, wow, you did it. I'm super proud yeah. that you did this thing. Little sort of drawing moment between the two of them. And he goes, yeah, it was all good. Uh, I just said, you know, you're a shadow and it's not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. Stop. Mm-hmm. Why are you looking at me like that? Yeah. And then Clary takes the lead, which I think, as you were mentioning earlier, I think you said that Jace does this in the book. And I like Mm -hmm. that we switched this. A lot of what we did in this show is showing that women take the reins, that women don't need to be shown the way by a man necessarily. And even though a lot of that is the story between Clary and Jace, that Jace is the experienced one and he helps her out, when there are the opportunities for Clary to show that I'm a woman and I make my own decisions and they're not hindered by the people around me, that we do take advantage of those in the show. And I think that's a really important, even if it's not necessarily buttons like I'm a woman I'm going to do this it's it's in there in the subtext and we get to see it as an audience and we get to also show young women that that's something that can be done that it's you know this is a behavior that we should normalize a little more 
Absolutely. And I think too, at this point in the story, it makes sense for their relationship because Clary is the one who has more of a handle on emotional vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. and taking the lead when it comes to exploring what this connection between the two of them is on an emotional side. And she goes, no, no, this is not a work thing. This is not perfunctory. This is not duty and honor and being a soldier. (laughs) This is (laughs) duty. Duty. Duty, darling. This is I care about you and I I was afraid of losing you and don't ever leave me again. Cute. I mean, right. Now, Let's talk about kissing on camera. Oh my God. I have one word for you for this scene. Switch. <sighs> so <laughs> it's a lovely scene and it looks wonderful it's, and it's it in looks high amazing. speed. It's in slow motion. We're doing this beautiful pan with the camera and whatever. Here's how it actually yeah. goes down. So. Oh my gosh. Damn, cat, you ready? Ready and kiss and the camera's moving. Now, at some point, it's going to move too far that all they see is either the back of my head or the side of my face or the back of Cat's head and the side of Cat's face. So they literally call to us because our eyes our eyes are closed. Obviously, nobody kisses yeah. with their eyes open, so our eyes are closed. So they literally are calling out a play-by-play of how we should be kissing in this. And they're like, yeah. okay, great, and switch. So they tell us to switch our heads and, and switch, switch our heads back. And this is this is something that I think you and I get asked a lot, especially on this show, mm-hmm. is, oh, what's it like to do all these romantic kissing things on camera? It is the most clinical thing you will ever do in it's your technical. life. It becomes like a handshake. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's technical. It's a technical thing yeah. to do. It's not, it's such a funny thing that people assume that it's this like romantic, whatever. It's not, it's technical. You're still on a mark. You can't move. You actually think they gave us a little more free reign in this than, because, you know, think about it now, cut to even partner track that we do, what we just did on partner track. And there are love scenes in partner track. You have now a intimacy coordinator who comes in, right. who literally yeah. choreographs everything, and it's for safety and it's yeah. a smart thing to have. Yeah. It's you know, it's a we safe had that thing. on the stand as well. You yeah. did, huh? And Kat and I trust each other. I don't think you know there was no time where I was worried about what she was going to do or whatever. You know, Same. you sort of have that conversation, you assess what your rules are and what is and isn't appropriate and whatever, and you go from there. Now. We have an intimacy coordinator. Our intimacy coordinator on Partner Track was called Heather. She was a wonderful woman. She's uh, very intelligent and very up to date on, you know, terminologies and this, that, and the other. But they they will literally choreograph everything. You will kiss at this point. Wow. You will stop kissing at this point. You will touch her arm at this point, or she will touch your arm at this point. And it's all very, very clinical, even more so than what we did in this. But it's interesting wow. that people do have that conversation of like, what was it like? Is it romantic? It sure isn't. <laughs> no, isn't no, and you also all. have you know forty five crew members standing mm-hmm. about two feet from you, holding lights and cameras yeah. and There's bounces a boom. and boom There's microphones. There's a boom mic that looks like this, sort of coming into your eye line every now and yeah. then, coming a little too close or whatever. And this cut, yeah. boom. You're like, great, okay, cool. You're like, great, thanks so much. But I will say that we did a lot of this on the show, all of us. Um, and I will say it was always so great to have a partner in this that you can just trust and you can play. And I know we've, we had each other's back the whole mm-hmm. time, whether it was, Hey, does this look awkward? Do you want to change something? It's honestly, it's like fight scenes. That's exactly what it is. It's like a fight scene. You got to trust yeah. that person. You got to trust that person. Fighting implicitly. With lips. You've also got to <laughs> fighting with lips. You've also got to trust <laughs> that, you know, if you break a rule or, you know, whatever, if you have the conversation of, 
as silly as it sounds like no tongue we don't want tongue to happen in this you're like great cool that's the rule whatever and then you know you feel someone's tongue or whatever it is you know as as gross as it kind of sounds you have to trust that that other person (laughs) goes hey man you're like i know i'm sorry it was a mistake you know or whatever it is vice versa yeah and i trust cat and i would like to say that cat trusts me as well and that's it's like these fights you know you trust you're trusting a very intimate part of yourself with this other person and it's it's exactly the same as when someone's throwing a sword at your face then you just trust them you have to trust them and you Mm -hmm. have to have those conversations to make sure that this feels emotionally safe whereas a fight scene Mm -hmm. is a is a physical safety thing this is about your emotional safety and it is intimate we're pretending to do something intimate and it's important that you have those conversations ahead of time like when i did penny dreadful that was obviously a, a big step for me and michael you know it was um a gay love scene that we had to do and neither of us are gay and we wanted to do due diligence for the community as well as making sure that each other are comfortable. And we went out to coffee before we, way before we were filming and we had the conversation of like, well, let's, you know, let's talk about this and whatever. And we spoke to John Logan, who's uh, the, the uh, showrunner and, you know, and that's, I think the way it should be done. Like, no, there -hmm. shouldn't ever be any boundaries that are overstepped. It, It should be a relatively simple thing to do. You make sure that everything's in the right place and you trust the people and then you go from there. Absolutely. And that's something that, you know, as we were so close as a cast, we got to, as all the relationships as they do on these supernatural shows, everybody dates everybody on yeah. screen at some point. Well, yeah. Simon, most of all, by the way, Simon made his rounds around everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Um, but it, it's nice to have that inherent trust, whether we are fighting or kissing or anything mm-hmm. in between. And I was really grateful. So thanks for being awesome. You too. Thank you for being my partner in this. <laughs> but then we move forward from there and we cut back to... Dear sweet Simon. Speaking of poor Simon, this is, by the way, this is, we're in episode five, I think. Seven. Simon has made out with two (laughs) people already. Simon has made out with Maureen and Camille already. And this is before any of the like proper relationships start popping up. He's already made out with two people. Yeah. Well, and if you want to count Licky Face in the club. He was never in the show. I never ended up in the show. But this is something that I love that the show does. And we get to lean more into this in season three. But there's these little horror movie moments. And as a fan of the genre, it's fun because it's that moment as the audience where you're going, no, don't go into the vampire hotel. Don't do it. Don't do it, Simon. Don't do it. And he does it. He does it. But something that we do nicely in the show is we explain why he does it. This isn't a stupid act. This isn't a... Like you say, the audience screaming at you, don't go in there. He is drawn to this place. There's a reason Mm -hmm. that he's coming to this place. And apart from sort of what he is mistaking for this like loneliness slash becoming this creature that he wants to avoid and the only people he can get a hold of with a knowledge of what this is are the vampires. So he goes back. Mm -hmm. But it was an addiction. That's what it was. And we get to look into this a little later with Yin Fen, with Emerald. Arguably, I think one of my favorite performances Emerald's ever done is that, but we'll talk about that when we get her on. But he, this is an addiction. He's an addict and he's coming back for that, whether he understands that that's the case or not. That's why he's coming Mm -hmm. back to this place. And there's also an element that threads through Simon's entire storyline that I noticed for the first time in this scene. He goes through so much in this series and so much transformation mm-hmm. and hardship and everything else. Simon, time and time again, has the the sort of nobility of character to confront these things head on and, go, and not shy away from it mm-hmm. and not run from a problem. He goes he dives headfirst into every issue and every problem and goes, you know what? Come at me. What is this? Talk to me. I want to know. I need to figure this out. This is happening to me and I'm sick of being a victim of it. What's going on? 
he refuses to be a victim time yeah. and time again. And that's that strength of character makes so much of who Simon is. And this is the first time we get to see him sort of take ownership of that. And it's really lovely. Totally. And that's where we leave off. Which will lead us very neatly into what happens at the beginning of the next episode. But this Ooh, is where we're going to leave you. It breaks mine as breaks well. Breaks my heart. Oh, what an episode we have for you in episode eight. I don't know why in my head I thought this was like episode four, that all of this stuff happened until I started the rewatch. And I'm like, oh yeah, this happens quite yeah. a bit later on, doesn't it? I think for us, it felt so quick. It did. That first season. Yeah, because we were so did. in it and we were getting scripts while we were shooting and yeah. it all kind of happened at once. But you know, when you watch the series, it's really well paced, even how they rearrange things. Because a lot mm-hmm. of this happens in book two. Mm. And it's really early on in season one, especially the Simon storyline. So things are kind of blending and they're recrafting how the sequence of events plays out for television. Which is exactly why I can't read the books. It's this is that exact <laughs> reason. I am not a good enough actor to be able to separate these two versions of stimulus that I have. I can't have yeah. stuff in my head where I'm like, why is this happening now? This should be happening in the next one. Or like, what's my last name now? Just And I have to recheck and do all of that in the morning i got to focus on the scripts. Mm-hmm. I'm not intelligent mm-hmm. enough to do more than one. Mm-hmm. And I think it was about at this point in the season. I think I was mid-book four or five at this mm. point. And w- by the time we got, you know, scripts eight and nine, I had to put the books down. I was yeah. riveted by them and I wanted to finish, but I had to put the Started books to down. to lose track. I was conflating storylines and where relationships were at. And I mm-hmm. just sort of went, okay, I'm going to read the books after we wrap. That'll be my treat. Smart. <laughs> we'll Very figure smart. it out. But um, this next episode... Boy, we have so much to talk about. Oh, we, have we have mosquitoes to talk about. about. We have a lot of dirt. We have blood clever, dummies. Yeah, clever trickery that happens. I don't think there were any mm-hmm. dummies in this episode. Not for me. I remember they tried. They tried because it was in the church. And then we said, no, no. So you just carried Alberto instead. Ah, oh, that's right. Yes, I remember do that? remember. Yeah, I was like, don't put that <laughs> thing anywhere near me. I'm not. Get it. Get yeah. it away. I'll carry actual yeah. Alberto. Anyway, before we give anything away, Mm -hmm. thank you as always for coming and joining us. And we'll see you next time. Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristin Vermilia. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. And the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. Make sure you subscribe to Return to the Shadows wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to drop us a review. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.